Good morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We're in a series on stewardship. We set aside in January every year a few Sundays where we talk about stewardship, and I've titled the three messages this year, Givers of the Bible. Last week, we looked at the original giver, and today, pretty famous story. If you grew up in church, you know the story of the widow and her might. In fact, I brought a widow's might. Somebody gave me this when I graduated once, and uh, I left it here, and first service people came up and took a look at it. I'll get to that in a second, but we're going we're gonna to be talking about the widow and her might, so I've titled this one, The Mighty Giver. So that's today's message. I wanted to uh, read the passage here, and then we'll get into the study. So it's Mark chapter 12, verse 41. <clears throat> it says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, I wanted to tell you at the beginning here about a man named Alfred Nobel. And he was famous for inventing explosives, dynamite. And he made a fortune. It was a time in America where they were expanding into other regions of, of the U.S., and they use the explosives to uh, make ton, uh, train tunnels, and, but it was used for a lot of other things, too. And this situation happened to him where his brother died, and they wrote an obituary, but they didn't know it was his, the guy writing it thought it was Albert Nobel. So just imagine this. You wake up one day, and you open up a newspaper, and in that newspaper is an obituary for your death. Because that's what happened to him. Somebody brought it to him and said, did you see they wrote your obituary? <laughs> but he wasn't dead. But here's the thing. He got to read it and get a perspective that people had about him that, you know, once you've passed, maybe somebody will say something that they won't say to your face, right? And, the, and it disturbed him because what was written about him was that he became rich by enabling other people to kill each other in unprecedented numbers. And when he read that, it disturbed him. And this is what was written about him. It said that Alfred Nobel was so shaken by the assessment of his life that he resolved to use the fortune he had amassed to reward accomplishments that benefited humanity rather than destroy it. And he established, if you've guessed, the Nobel Peace Prize. He's the guy that started that. And how did it come about? It came about because he read an assessment of his life. Now, normally, evaluations come after the fact in life. But we're getting this as an illustration for us to think about. What if somebody wrote an assessment of your life? What would they say? How... For him, it was, you got rich off of creating something that destroyed people. What would they say about you? 
in what you amassed in your life and how you used it and its effect. That's the, the kickoff here for looking at the widow and her might. So um, I remember when we had a funeral in here, one of the earlier years I was in ministry, a missionary that we support suddenly died. His name was Caleb Ludwig, and he worked over at UOG trying to reach students and the faculty over there. And he used to come, he went to another church, but he would come and, and, and share with us his ministry. But when he suddenly passed away, and then we had this funeral, and so we came together, and people talked about him. People talked about his life. There was a, an assessment, essentially, about who the man was and how he had invested all of his life into these things that had eternal value. But I thought, and I wrote it down at the time, and I kept it, one of the most honorable things said and accurate things about an evaluation of his life was this line, he was a small man, and he was, he was, that meant he was not very tall. He was a small man, but he had a big God, and that's how he lived. He was a humble man. And I thought, wow, that's a good evaluation of what would be said about you, what would be said. And so I want to put that in your mind, and we're going to jump into this passage, and we'll come back to that later, but we're going to look at the widow and what Jesus says about her. So we've read the passage, and here's the first point that I want you to get, and that is that Jesus is watching who is giving. Verse 41 again, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. And this is the scene. The scene is that Jesus is in the temple, and this is the time of the Passover celebration. It's like a country that has a national holiday and the whole country gets into the celebration of it. If it's the 4th of July or here in Guam might be Liberation Day. Well, the Passover was celebrating the time when they came out of Egypt and all of the, the nation is a part of this celebration. So it's busy. It's very busy. A lot of people had come into Jerusalem and Jesus is in the temple and he's watching people give. That's what it says in the verse. Well, in this area, there would have been 13 individual um, um, giving boxes, and each one had a letter uh, on it identifying the purpose. So if you gave to this one, it was for that purpose. And it's similar to, like, if you go out today into the foyer, we have one giving box here. If you want to give, you can put it in there. We don't collect offerings with an offering plate anymore because we stopped that uh, during the COVID. And, and uh, this is how we do it now. And they had 13 of them. And they were large trumpet. There were these large trumpet-like shapes that would funnel the money down into the box. So you could come and you could put it in and it would rattle and go down. I don't know if you've ever seen... Uh, uh, where you could put a coin, it's like donating to some cause, and then it just rolls like this, you know, and as it funnels down, it gets quicker, like this, you know. Well, it, I don't know if it went, but they had large trumpet-like things also, and what would happen is some people, if you really wanted to draw attention to yourself, don't put dollar bills in because they're soft, right? You would bring coins. You could bring coins, you could drop them in, you could drop them in one at a time, you know, you could make a lot of noise, and you would think people wouldn't do that. They did do that. In fact, Jesus even made a comment about it over in uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then his example is this, this giving situation. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And Jesus was addressing a way to give that, that was really selfishly motivated. I want the attention. If you come and you're plopping down all these coins, or in this case, the sound of a trumpet. Can you imagine if we did pass, you know, the plate, it's like it comes by and you pulled out a burr, 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 and you're dropping stuff in. Really what you're doing is, look at me, I'm giving. And Jesus said, don't do it that way. In fact, he says, if you do, you don't get a reward in heaven for giving. You got your reward. Your war, reward was earthly attention in that moment. In fact, one of the verses after that says, don't let the, the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Give in a way that, you, that is secret sometimes, that people don't know that you're the one that gave. Because the temptation is recognition. So I'm giving you this setting here. This is Jesus and it's a time where it's busy and he's watching people um, drop coins into these giving boxes. Many were giving for the wrong reasons. They're really giving to themselves. So here's what I want to point out to you underneath this. Jesus is watching who is giving. And the first way I build this is that giving is a form of worship theater. Now, hang with me and let me explain this. Worship theater. Because I, I look at this verse, it says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watch. Kind of like when you go to a movie. Everybody comes in. What do you do? You come and you sit down opposite of the thing that you want to watch. And then it goes on to say, after it says he sat down opposite the treasury, it says, and he watched people putting money into the offering box. Now this word watched means beheld. And it, it, it literally means that he gazed upon them as though they were a form of theater. That's why I use the word theater. So like in a, in a theater, you come in, you sit down opposite the thing that you're going to watch. And what do you do? You gaze at it. You are there to watch what is being put on. And this is the description that, that Mark uses to describe what Jesus is doing. Just like you go into theater. He came and he sat down across from what he wanted to watch. And he gazed at them as if he was watching the show. And so in this scenario, worship is or giving is the form of its description here is, is that giving is like a worship theater and God's watching. And giving reveals then the heart of the theater. What kind of show is this? You know, it's like sometimes a movie's coming out and the, the producer or the director, they're talking about it. And they're like, I have poured my life into this thing. This is like my life's work. I really want people to see this. It, 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 what comes out of this movie, it comes from my heart. And there's a way in which you could come and watch the, the thing that he made. And he's communicating something to you about him. And that's why if the theater is, we're sitting here and what we're watching is you're dropping coins and it's loud. And you're trying to draw attention to yourself. It's a form of theater that is very self-centered. It's not about God or maybe even the cause. You've put yourself 
into the story front and center. So in this example, we see that giving can reveal the heart. What kind of show is this? What kind of theater is going on? Is it selfish? And also, it's a measurement of our life. <clears throat> Just like that movie director saying, I put everything into this. When you give, it is a slice of your life that you're giving. Because I remember one of my sons gave, it was a couple Christmases ago, he gave a very expensive gift. And this is a kid that doesn't have a job, a regular job. He'll do, do things here and there. And when he gave it, we were all astonished by it. And my first thought was, how did you get the money for that? And the description is, well, I did this and I did that. And so I, I want you to see when he gave it, it was a measurement of the time that he spent accumulating what he needed to give in that moment. It's a measure of our life when we give. One of my favorite pastors, David Jeremiah, says it this way. When we come to bring him what we have earned, we are literally taking our lives and compressing them into the coinage of our day. Saying, here is my life, God. Here are my hours and energy melted down into coin, and I give it to you. And so it can reveal our heart. And lastly, I put here, Jesus is watching the types of people. Because it says, as he's watching, many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in, it says what she gave. But what I want you to notice here is that he sits and he's watching like it's a theater, and he's noticing the actors in it. He's noticing what's going on and the type of different people that are giving. It's like if you ever see like a movie comes out and you're like, whoa, there are a lot of big name actors in that movie, right? It's got that actor and that actress and this person and that person and they're famous from that one. And then you go to, go to see it and you didn't even know about there was this really good actor or actress that nobody knew about that was over here, like underneath all the big names and you walk away going, Wow, that's the person I remember. I remember that. What, that was a great performance. And then later, people look back and go, that was her breakout performance, you know. This is similar. I'm trying to give you this illustration for you to get that Jesus sat. He's watching the theater. There's the actors. Oh, there's a lot of A-listers here. They're dropping in big coins. There are many rich people giving large sums. And there's this one kind of underneath it all, a widow. That's going to steal the show. In fact, the word widow here, the Greek word, describes her as being a pauper. One who ekes out a living from day to day. So you get up in the morning, and she has no idea how she's going to provide for her that day. That's her life. She doesn't have any steady income. How am I going to get by today? How am I going to buy food? How am I going to get whatever needs I have? That's, do you know... She is the one in that theater who will become immortalized for all eternity for what she does in it. I don't know any names of the rich people who gave large sums. They didn't make it a generic description of those actors. But the widow outdid them all is in scripture for all eternity. A performance that blew everyone else away. And Jesus is watching. Jesus watches. 
the giving. He watches the givers. Now, every year I preach on this subject, I look for certain places to say certain things because some of you were not here last year. This is your first time to ever sit through a series here at this church on stewardship. And I'm going to say this point. God watches and he knows the givers. But I want you to know this. I don't know. I do not know what people give in this church. And, and that is something that I borrowed from my father. My father has been a pastor for 50 years. And I remember talking with him about these types of things. And, and he said, you know, son, when I'm standing up there preaching every Sunday, I don't want to look out there and see dollar signs and see people by that type of measurement. And I've carried that over. As I've pastored here for 10 years, I don't know what people give. For 10 years, I haven't known. And it's between you and God. But I do want to say to you, God watches and God knows. Now, the second thing that I will add to this is that Jesus is making notes of what is given. He watches the givers. He watches the scene, the actors in it, but then he's taking notes there's going to be a record. There's going to be an, account, an accounting for what is given to him. Verse 42. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Now, I kind of showed you this at the beginning. This is a widow's mite. Um, <clears throat> it says here that uh, two small coins make up a penny. I thought, you know, in our coinage, the lowest thing is a penny. But she had even lower than that. She had two that makes up the penny. But this is, I'm going to, afterwards, some people came up and looked at it. If you want to come and see what, what uh, a mite looks like. But the Greek word for mite is actually lepton. It's the smallest denomination of coin in the Greek world. A day's worth of work that you would get paid for, paid for was a denarius, and it took 128 leptons to equal one denarius. So she had one of all of those. So it wasn't a lot, but what I want you to notice is that Christ has made note of that. He made note of what's being given. There's large sums being given, and then there's very small d widow's mite. Okay? He is making note. Not only that, but he is contrasting between the two how much is being given. There's the large sums, and in the narrative, like if it's a theater, what's he, what is he doing with, with the scenes? Well, in this scene, he's giving you a contrast. He's contrasting these large sums being given next to this widow's might. And I'm going to tell you that all through Scripture, this is what God does. God is always taking something and contrasting it to something else to try to teach us something, to try to, try to see either a truth, or try to see a character that he wants rubbed up against character he doesn't want. For example, you could go back into the Old Testament. You've got generous Abraham and greedy Lot. We got to part ways. I'll let you choose. Lot says, I'm taking that. It looks great. This doesn't look too great. Abraham is generous and lets him. And you see the pathway and how it affects both of them. But the Bible lays them right there against each other. You see Mary in her alabaster box and her expensive perfume that she takes and she rubs it over the feet of Christ, contrasted with in that 
little scene, Judas, who says, why are we doing that? What a waste. Wouldn't it have been better if we had sold that expensive perfume? We could have got a lot of money for that and given it to needy people. And then kind of weaved into that is the comment that he said it because he was actually robbing. He was actually had his hand in the, in the purse stealing money. That's, that's the real motive. But you're seeing a contrast there, right? You see Barnabas and Ananias in, in Acts. Barnabas is known for being generous. And he's giving money for uh, ministry in the church. And right after that, you see Ananias who lies about what he's giving and is wanting name recognition. So the Bible is always contrasting this way to teach us something. And I say that because what is your contrast? Like, who are you in all these scenes? The Bible says that there will come a day where we are evaluated. In the same way that Jesus is watching and he's making notes. And the last point, which we're going to get to, he's going to give an evaluation of what he's seeing well, there comes a day where there's a valuation for us in our life and what we've invested in. And you see that in 1 Corinthians 3 where um, Paul is talking about the Bema Seat of Christ. And he says, you're going to take everything you've done, you're going to put it there, and it's going to be tested by fire. And anything that did not have eternal value will be burnt up, and only that which has eternal value remains. And in the scenario, there are a lot of Christians. It's not, a, it's not a test of salvation. It's a test of stewardship. And in that scene, there's a lot of Christians who are going to be embarrassed that they spend a lot of their life on non-eternal things. And they said, here it is. And Phew, it's going to go up in smoke. And then it will be known. It will be known what kind of steward we were. There's a scene where Jesus says, you've been faithful as a steward here you're going to enter into my kingdom. I'm going to put more underneath you. And we go into his kingdom. Good stewards right now get, be, become stewards in his kingdom. There's these connections like that. Now, one of my points is he's contrasting here. Many rich people to the pauper. He's contrasting large sums of money to the might. And I want to press in upon us to think about that. Like, where are we in the scene? My first job, <clears throat> I made $15,000 on the year. Not a lot of money. Be tough to raise a family today with four kids, especially, I think, I have one son that eats $15,000 worth of food, you know. So, but what I would say is, if I never earned more than that, and I went from age 25 to age 65, and all I made was $15,000 a year. Do you know that when I stand before God, I will have to give an account for a half a million dollars? A half a million dollars. How did you use it, Pastor Kevin? You're a steward. I gave it to you. And most of us don't think like that. We don't think like, well, I, you know, I don't really earn that much. I'm not going to have to give an account for that much. That's how... I see the contrast here in the pressing in on us, which leads me to the last point, which is Jesus is measuring the value of the gifts. So we're stewards, and here comes Jesus. He's sitting. He's watching who the givers are. He's making note of what they are giving, and now 
there's a valuation of it. Let's, let's hear a comment from Christ that, what do you think? What do you think about, actually, we learned last week, everything belongs to God. And what we have, we're just stewards. And here's the, the rich here. They've been given a lot. They're given large sums. That should be impressive, right? Over here, the widow's might. She doesn't give that much. But, you know, how much does it really do for the kingdom of God? And we're going to hear something from Christ. Verse 43 says, And he called his disciples to him and said, So he's teaching. This story is in the Bible to teach us something. And so, like he was teaching the disciples, we can read it and it teaches us, right? Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And so, the thoughts here, number one, there is an evaluation. Jesus uses the words, I say. He's watched, he's observed, he's made notes, and now what's coming out of his mouth is an evaluation of those two facts. That's how you get the valuation. Observing what you did, processing, and now I'm going to tell you what I think about it. And so there's an evaluation. Secondly, there is consideration. Because Let's think about the evaluation here. Are you going to use the same standard? Because, you know, the, the rich, they have more. And she doesn't have much. And it makes its way into his evaluation of the scene. Because he says, poor widow. So I'm about to give you my thoughts about what she gave. But he uses the language still of poor. Let me, let, let's consideration here. She's a steward, but not a very much. So it factors into what I think about her gift. Now, um, he goes on to say that she gives out of her poverty, right? She doesn't use poverty as an excuse. Well, I, I don't have to give because I, all I got is these two little coins. I'm not going to give anything because I, I need them to live. And she doesn't use any of that as a reason not to give. She comes and gives. That's what she has, so she gives it. And he's taking these things into consideration when he gives his valuation of the gift, right? Now, I put here, there's an explanation. So you got an evaluation, there's consideration for the context of who we are and what we're giving, and now comes the explanation. Because you might say, how can two pennies be worth more than large sums of money, right? But this is what he says. They all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything. And so his evaluation is she gave more. The poor widow has put in more than all those. Every one of the rich people who put in large sum, sums of money. And he says she has put in more because of the considerations that he's given to her. And this is interesting because it makes us think then about what kind of giving does God want? Because in the Old Testament, he gave clear standards. In the Old Testament, it was percentage, percentage. They had kind of church and state together. Over here, we don't. 
uh, there. It's like what they gave, some of it was like taxes. It went to run things. But then some of what they were required to give went to the temple and the, the faith system. We're not like that. We're, we have only one set amount for the government side. If you pay taxes, then there is a percentage amount you are required. And if you don't do it, they will track you down and get it from you. The church isn't like that. The churches give from the heart, but is there a percentage? What if you don't give the percentage? Pastor's at the door. Did you give the right percentage? It's not like that. It's not. And what you see the Bible doing is this. It moves from the Old Testament of percentages to it in the New Testament to sacrificial and proportionate. The reason her amount is greater is because proportionately the context of what she had, it's massive and sacrificial. See, there's a way that you can give more money and it not be nearly as sacrificial as her. <clears throat> I remember one of the first times I ever preached on this. I have a really good friend. Uh, he has moved. He's in the States now. He was here at the church. And we had this great discussion afterwards because I made the comment about this 10%. Most, if you grew up in church, you know, that's generally what is taught, 10%. Here, I borrowed something from a pastor named John Piper where they say strive to tithe because tithe means 10%, but strive to tithe and beyond. That some people, maybe they give 9%, some maybe they give 10 some maybe they give 11 It's between you and God. But in the New Testament, it's about proportion. The more you give, Paul writes, if you sow abundantly, you're going to reap abundantly. That is not in the Old Testament in the same way. It was straight line percentages. So you could give more and then like a harvest more come, can come back. So, but here's the discussion that I was having because my good friend, he was like, look, pastor, it's like if you make $1,000 and you give 10%, you know, that's a number. But if I make $100,000 and give 10% of that, it's a much larger number. And it, that is giving more, but it's the same percentage. It's both 10%. And he said to me, because he struggled with the phrase, strive to tithe, and beyond. And I would say, look, how much money do you need to live? Like, what if you, throughout your life, continue to grow? And what if you make a billion dollars? And you say, well, I'm giving 10%. It's, it's a lot of money. Yes, but what is 90% of a billion? Like, do you need all of that? Can't you, like, invest 11%? Can't you go to 12%? Can you give more to the kingdom of God for him to do more. Like how much do you need? And does God continue to grow that increase so that you can just buy more stuff? Bigger houses, more cars, expensive trips, nice clothes. There's always some measure of that, but how much of that percentage do you is, is need versus just once? And this is how the New Testament looks at giving. And we had that discussion you might think that if you make more money, you're giving more money. But a study of philanthropy in America concluded that people who make less than $10,000 a year 
actually give a higher percentage of their income to the things to God, of things to God. For every step up in the income bracket, there was a smaller percentage of their income being given. The more a man makes, the less likely he is to give away. The amount might be greater, but the percentage is actually smaller. The temptation is like, what percent of a billion, even 5%, that's so much money. And to, to, to give that is like, oh. But yet, what we see in Scripture is the push towards being generous. The original giver was God. What was his limit? He gave his son. And there's nothing in the universe more valuable than his son. The son of God was given to die for us. And that's what shapes our heart and our understanding what giving is. Now, to give is to not buy. And there's a wrestling match that will go on in your heart. Well, if I give this, then I can't use it to buy. And the more that you might give, the more of a wrestling match it is, because there's always something to buy. And this is the way that God shapes our heart, because it's constantly putting us in a position to think about your stewardship of what God has given you. So, when we're looking at this, at least in, in the uh, context of this widow, you might say, does 10% of a million represent me? Because isn't it more than 10% of 100,000? But what he's saying is sacrifice is what matters. Bill Gates makes a lot of money, and I hear that he gives a lot away, but is he hurting? Is it sacrificial at all? Many very rich people can give away a lot, but it never dings their lifestyle at all. It's not sacrificial at all. They continue on with their life. It's this widow giving the 10% is a lot for her because it stretches her a lot more. The rich people who drop in the large sums aren't stretched in any way. It's not sacrificial. That's the point that Christ is making. And the death of Jesus Christ was sacrificial. So there's a way in which what Christ is trying to push us towards by giving us this little theater is when you give, what does it represent of you? Is it representative of, of any sacrifice? Is it representative of, I had to make a choice between buying or giving to God? This is how Paul in the New Testament shapes giving. Now, that's a good way to think of it. Does, does what is being given represent you? I heard a pastor tell a story. This is, this is a while ago. But he was preaching on this very thing. And a woman came up afterwards. She wrote a check for $50, gave it to him. And he said, she said, is that enough? Was this going to help with the ministry? And he said, it's good as long as you think it's representative of who you are. Well, <laughs> she took the check back. And she went back and she sat down and came back up. Instead of $50, $500. Is that enough? Same answer. It's, it's good as long as you think it's representative of who you are. And there's a way in which the real battles in your heart, you know, I, I could tell you, this is about you and your faith and worship 
and stewarding of what God has given you. And that can be pushed back on all of us. It does what we give. Is it, a, is it a representative of who you are as a steward and what God has given you? That lady took the $500 check and then she went away. She came back. Here's $5,000 check. Is that enough, pastor? As long as you think it's a representation of you. I didn't even come back up to, the, to see him in the front. And this pastor, as he tells a story, he said she came back another day. Instead of a $5,000 check, she had a $50,000 check. Because she was very wealthy. Is that a representation of you? This, she said, is a representation of who I am. That's what she said the last time when she gave it to him. And there's a way in which all of us should wrestle with that thought. Because we are stewards. And there will be a time where we stand before him. And like Jesus, who is, it's a theater, he's watching. He knows what he gave to us. He's the original giver. Everything we have, he already gave us. He knows what we have. How much have we given back? It's a wrestling match. Or how much do I want to invest in, in eternal things, in gospel-related things? So this little scene, the very best actor in it, was not the A-list actors, was it? It was the widow. She's the one that gets immortalized in Scripture. And you know, there's a valuation of her, and it's good. And it's, I go back to the, to the no, Alfred Nobel. If your obituary was coming out in a week, and they're going to say something about you, about what you did with your life, how you used it, See, now, Nobel, what's his, what is his name attached to? The Nobel Peace Prize. Nobody ever thinks. Have you even heard the story that he was a guy that invented explosives and dynamite and lots of people died from his invention? You don't even know that about him. And yet, we know him with the Peace Prize, don't we? So what, what evaluation would be given for you in your life and what you've done with it? You know, I didn't give this to you last week. We, we were looking at King David, weren't we? And he really wanted to give God that worship house, a temple that's proper, that's representative of who God is. David, you can't do it. You don't get to build it because you are, you, your name's connected to war and murder. And this is, a, this is a house of peace. You can't be attached that way. Well, then I'm going to be a part of it by collecting the money that my son will need to build it. And I read a verse to you last week where he talked about how much gold he had and how much silver he had as king out of his personal treasury and how he was giving to, out, to this contribution himself. He was being a leader and the people followed him and, and people came and they gave to the temple effort. But David was like, I'm going to lead by example. And we, we remember that? I said he was a good leader in that. He, he showed how to do it. But I didn't tell you really how much he gave. I want to I read that to you. People have figured this out. And what I'm reading is, is uh, some of these numbers have changed, but I'll, I'll explain. But a million talents of silver equals 75 million pounds of silver or 1.2 billion ounces of silver. Now, depending on what the cost of silver is, that's why I say some numbers changed. But the value of the silver that David gave to the temple 
is in the ballpark of $19.6 billion. Okay. Now, 100,000 talents of gold equals 7.5 million pounds of gold or 120 million ounces of gold. And depending on what gold would sell for, right, per ounce, the value of the gold David gave to the temple construction is in the ballpark, depending on what it sells per ounce, of $158.4 billion. This blew my mind when I read this, right? The total value then of the gold and silver together that David gave for the building temple was in the ballpark of $178 billion. Now just think about that. Who's the richest man in the world? You take a guy like Bezos and his total net worth, Dave gave almost, Dave, King David gave almost double to one contribution effort to God than the richest men on the planet and you know why? Because it, it was a representation of who he was. He didn't have to take the check back. It was an accurate representation of who he was and how he felt about God. I love the stewardship series every year. We don't do it because we're in some emergency in the churches like we, you know, it's not because of that. I'm not a lover of money. I don't know what people give, but I am a really big believer because I grew up with this. I grew up in churches where every year in January, there were sermons about stewardship because it connects so much to the vitality of our faith. If Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be, then we got to be good stewards because if we steward our treasures that God gives us in a way that's all about building a life for us right now temporarily and not something eternal, that's not good. And we will stand before God and give an account. So every year we, we try to plug away at this. And I'm going to tell you that after 10 years, it's like farming, right? You're always cultivating and trying to grow a, 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 a value within this community that God has really used this church. He's really blessed this church. Because of the people of the church and being good stewards and being good givers. And over the years, I, I just, if I could spend an entire sermon telling you about all the different ways that God has used this church to grow the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. The different missionaries we have, at one point, more than 20. And we're going through the process of some are retiring and we're looking at investing in new missionaries. But there's a lot for the size of our church. And then the different ways we invest here in Guam and the different, different, not just ministry, but also supporting other churches. That is like most churches in the world today, they can be very tribal. They don't want to play in the playground with other churches, but we want to, I believe that we need other churches on this island. And so we try to help other churches and invest. We're going to plant a church when Mel comes back next summer. Some pastors think, why would you do that? Why would you give money into planting another church like that? Because we're just stewards, and we look at a big picture for how can we best grow the gospel of Jesus Christ on this island, and you share in that, and that's why we teach on this series every year. Father, thank you for this lesson from the widow and her might. And even though she was a 
C-list actor in the theater. She was the mightiest giver in the story. She was a mighty giver with her might. And every year, Lord, we go through this and we just pray that you continue to shape a value within this community. And sometimes people are here for a few years and they go through these series and, and I have no testimony of people who go back to the States and they take this value with them. And it becomes a part of their life, but they also begin to share it with other churches. I pray that the takeaway today is that people would be thoughtful about their stewardship of what you've given them. January is the time of the year where a lot of times we're thinking about our budgets. And it's a good stewardship to sit down and, and think about how we use everything that you gave us and how much do we invest in eternal things. So I just lift it up to you that your spirit will continue to shape that in our church and our people and that you would bless this church in a way that we would bless others, support gospel workers, Bible translation that is supported by this church. And we continue to give you the glory in all of it that one day we would stand before you and you who have watched and gazed at us it's going to be more than a half million dollars for most of us in this room to give an account for. That we would be able to lift it up to you and give you the glory that we've been good stewards. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you are the original giver and the greatest treasure and the greatest gift is in your son and the salvation we have in him in Christ's name. Amen. Let's finish as we stand and worship together.